Welcome to the Lab Rats Podcast. You are now entering the maze. So it looks like with uh, Epicurious, meats, uh, meats off the menu. Yeah, no more beef. Beef, beef is out. It got canceled. Yeah, man, sad day. I, I've never actually like followed them until I saw the the announcement but they do yeah. recipes right like yeah i think i think they're recipes right i think they're primarily an online website that publishes recipe but they also have like physical recipe books i think that's i think that's really their main thing yeah and they they basically for people that don't know they came out i don't know last week maybe and said that none of their recipes moving forward will include beef mm-hmm. um they're still including chicken and pork, but right. beef and fish. specifically is out. Yeah. yeah, still including fish. But they said no more recipes with beef here on out. And the reasons for it was saying because beef is, they're saying beef is a contributor, a significant contributor to global warming. And they want to be a, a pro-planet company and they don't want to encourage the use of beef. So that, that was their reason for it which if you have followed this podcast at all, um, we had a episode probably a month or two ago where we had Rob Wolf on. Um, he and Diana Rogers wrote a book called Sacred Cow that gets into this. It talks about the basically the opposite of what they're saying here and how actually raising cattle, doing it in a specific way called regenerative ag- agriculture can actually have the opposite effect and um, improve global warming. Yeah. It's actually carbon negative. Uh, if, if mm-hmm. it's ra- if beef is raised properly and what's really interesting, we talked about it in that episode is that the, um, greenhouse gas emissions, like beef on that or cattle is like two, two and a half percent. Not, not saying that like yeah. that's nothing, but like transportation is 28% electricity is 27%, uh, industrial manufacturing is 22%. Commercial residential is twelve percent, and I think agriculture, like plant agriculture, six percent, and livestock is four percent of that four percent, um, like half or two and a half percent is uh, is beef. And mm-hmm. like, what's interesting is like rice production. Uh, r- the growing and distribution of rice produces way more greenhouse gases than beef. But nobody's right. talking about limiting rice. There's no riceless Fridays. It's like I get it. Yes, like we need to take care of the planet, but so many people are just barking up the wrong tree with this thing. Like if we could put all of our energy, uh, you know, into into some of the bigger areas, like transportation is huge. Mm-hmm. Like why why are we investing so much energy for something that really is, is a small fraction of the issue and if done right, can be uh, carbon negative? Why is it just eliminate that? It just, or, or monocropping, like monocropping is destroying the environment with these you know, industrial seed oils. Um, it just seems like we're, we're kind of barking up the wrong tree here. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't know at what point or why, why red meat specifically became the scapegoat for all of this. Like, it seems like that's been the narrative for the past, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years that red meat's bad. And it sounds good to, to write a headline like, like Epicurious did, like those headlines are clickbait. They sound good. Um, but if you just take literally two minutes to research this and look at the actual data, you'll find that it's not as, um, 
damaging as it comes off to be. Not that it can't be improved. So there certainly can be improvements, but based on how they present it and how a lot of mainstream media presents it, you'd think that raising cattle is like just devastating to the environment and it can cause some minor harm, mm -hmm. but it just, it comes across as being the main contributor and that's yeah. simply not the truth. Well, and then when you cut out um, a, a high quality, highly bioavailable protein and nutrient dense food for people's diets, what do they replace that with? Um, especially people who uh, don't have the, um, the financial resources to pay for, uh, let's say like tempeh, you know, which is a decent, mm -hmm. decent protein or for to, to pay for all the vegetables you would need to, um, to get adequate nutrients, people can't afford that. So they resort to highly processed garbage foods because that's what's affordable and accessible. People don't replace that with good foods. They replace it with terrible food. And I mean, if you, you've seen the, the shift f from, um, red meat to highly processed foods over the past 40 years. And I mean, look at what, what has happened to our, our health. So we could talk about yeah. this all day. I don't, I don't want to go down this tangent, but, um, this is actually um a good segue into uh, a big announcement that we have if you listen to the little special announcement episode we dropped on friday aaron and i uh, are starting a new venture called health hacked lab rats is not going anywhere we're going to continue to do the podcast but like i mentioned on um on that little special announcement podcasts are long some of these episodes are like an hour long a lot of people just don't have the the opportunity to sit down and listen to it uh, but we still want to get out good health information in a way that is easily digestible, that's short, uh, entertaining, uh, and, and re really informative, like uh, life-changing, you know, things that people can use to, to better their health. And so we're creating a weekly newsletter called Health Hacked, and it'll go through, it'll take like basically like one, every week we'll have like one topic on um, fitness, nutrition, recovery or sleep, mindset, and then we have like little bits of other news we have like on the fringe news and uh, clickbaity articles where we dissect that and should be able to read it in five minutes or less. Uh, it should be entertaining, a little bit, a little bit of humor in there and informative. So that's kind of our, our goal with this whole thing. Yeah, we are super excited about this. I really think it has potential to reach a lot of people and just give them a different perspective on health that maybe they haven't heard before. And the reason we, we bring up this Epicurious um, you know, article where they talk about eliminating beef is because that's going to be what the headlines are. That's what most people see. They read it and be like, oh, beef's bad. Like, yeah, I knew that and move on. Whereas with Health Hacked, we're going to we're going to take this article and we'll, we'll examine it and provide kind of just a, a more scientific perspective to it. So to give people not not just the mainstream headlines, we're going to really cater it to be just real, authentic, fact based news. So yeah, to sign up for that, um, you can actually go to, it's it's free, it's completely free. You get one email every Friday and to sign up for it, to subscribe, you just go to our, we have an Instagram called Health Hacked and that's hacked without the E. So H-A-C-K-D, Health Hacked is our Instagram handle or healthhacked.com. So H-E-A-L-T-H-H-A-C-K-D.com. And there you can just subscribe for free. And as soon as you sign up, you will be receiving the next email on this coming Friday. So check that out. And oh, for this is for for the first two weeks. This is for Lab Rats listeners exclusively. So you need to enter a code to once you go to the website, the code will be Lab Rats. That's all lowercase. 
Um, and if you enter Lab Rats, then you can get into the website. So this is for Lab Rats listeners exclusively for the first two weeks. And then we're going to open it up to to the public, to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, we're really pumped. Thanks for everybody that participated in our kind of little uh, feedback focus group that we did. Um, we really appreciate it. And yeah, we're, we're pumped to roll this out. So stay tuned, sign up. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. So that was a long, long injury there, but we'll, we'll dive into the episode. And if you've been following along, this is uh, the third of a three-part series on breaking addictions. The first week we talked about breaking sugar addictions. The second week we talked about breaking alcohol addiction. And this week we're talking about probably the most commonly addicted to thing of these three, which is caffeine. So we're going to look at, and th this one is actually a little bit different than the other two, because it turns out there are some benefits to this one as well. So we're going to get into, yes, the detriments of it, but also some of the benefits of caffeine. Um, and then we're going to talk about, again, we did a 30 day experiment where we completely cut caffeine out of our life for 30 days. And th this was by far the most challenging for me personally. So we'll get into our experiment. We'll get into the dangers, the benefits. Um, so let's dive in. Yeah. So let's first talk about how caffeine is addictive. I, I would say that it's not so much an addiction as it is a dependency. I, I feel like addiction is typically more severe. It's, it's to a point where you're unable to stop or you have really difficulty stopping despite the negative impact it has on you. Where dependency is, I, I think of that as less than an addiction. It's easier to stop, but you may have some withdrawal symptoms. So that's where I think caffeine falls. Uh, it is the most commonly consumed psychoactive substance there in uh, 2004, there was a survey of 18,000 people and in the U S specifically, and it, it turned out that 87% of the sample consumed either food or beverage containing caffeine. And on average, that caffeine consumption was like 193 migs a day, which is probably about two cups of co two cups of coffee. Uh, 71% of those people drank coffee as their primary source of caffeine, 16% drank soft drinks and 12% drank tea. So, uh, how caffeine interacts with your brain. We've talked about this in the past. I think in probably both our sleep episodes, we touched on this. Uh, it, it interacts with, um, adenosine receptors. So adenosine is a chemical that builds up in our bloodstream through our waking hours. Uh, it's sometimes referred to as sleep pressure. It builds up throughout the day, uh, and as it builds up, we get more sleepy and it's responsible for helping our bodies, uh, circadian rhythm by telling us it's time to get some rest. And then when we sleep, that adenosine is, is flushed out. When we wake up, we're not sleepy anymore. We're ready for a new day. Well, caffeine is an adenosine blocker. So it attaches to adenosine receptors in the brain, thereby blocking the adenosine from attaching, um, and, and blocking the signal that we're tired. So this is how caffeine keeps you awake. And uh, another aspect of the addiction side of it or the depend dependency is that when caffeine latches onto those adenosine receptors, you also get a small increase in dopamine production. This is partly why you feel a little boost in energy. Now, this isn't as strong as like when you consume alcohol or sugar or cocaine, but uh, there is a dopamine, wow, dopamine, I can't say that word. <laughs> there's a dopamine effect. There's a dopaminergic effect, I think is what I'm trying to say, yeah. um, which makes kicking the habit a little more challenging. Um, so that's kind of what happens in the short term. And then in the long term, uh, when, when you consume more caffeine, the, the brain produces more adenosine. So it basically says 
hey, uh, this guy's not getting the memo that we need sleep. Let's produce more adenosine so that we can go to sleep. So as you produce more adenosine, uh, you need more caffeine to block that adenosine, leading to a dependency on it in order to feel alert. And uh, another downside to that is because you produce so much adenosine, you may not get all that flushed out during sleep. So when you wake up in the morning, you're still groggy and you need caffeine to wake up because you still have some of that lingering uh, adenosine. And the morning cup of joe kind of, you know, solves by blocking any leftover adenosine. Uh, so those are the main components in terms of addiction. I do think there is kind of an emotional addiction to it uh, or dependency, which we'll talk about that. There's just something soothing about like a hot cup of coffee in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. For me, yeah, at least, I, I don't know. A lot just, of people, yeah, I think most people have a ritual around a morning routine, whether that's going to a Starbucks drive through or making your own coffee. Most people like drink either coffee or tea in the morning. And it's kind of this, uh, yeah, it's this comfort thing. To, first thing to do in the morning is to brew some coffee and, uh, you know, read or eat breakfast with it. Yeah. So I think there is like that emotional dependency on it in the routine specifically. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of hard to break a normal habit that you enjoy. Now, how addictive it is depends on many things. Like your genetics actually plays a big role, like how slow or fast you metabolize it. Um, so some are more sensitive to caffeine. How long you've consumed caffeine and how much throughout the day that's going to impact how how uh, addictive it is or how hard it is to kick the habit uh, but most people can break the the dependency within a, a, a few days like eventually like your body adapts this is not like you know alcohol or drugs where where you have this you know uh, hospitalization withdrawal uh, severity um most people can break it pretty soon so caffeine is different in that way and caffeine is different in that it doesn't stimulate the reward system as much as alcohol nicotine and sugar and and, you know overall it's not as harmful so do you want to talk about some of the benefits uh, of caffeine and then i can hit on some of the things to watch out for yeah we'll start with some of the the perks of it um yeah this is uh different than the other two because this one like we said it's not that the addictiveness isn't extremely damaging and we'll get into the damaging effects of it but it it isn't extremely damaging and there are there happen to be some some benefits to it so um the the main one the most common one the most common reason people consume coffee is obviously the the boost of energy and cognitive function that comes with it you know you wake up feeling groggy first thing you do is drink coffee within an hour you you're feeling good so that is the number one thing and like Annie just went through this with with why it does that basically caffeine binds to adenosine receptors and essentially caffeine essentially tricks the brain into thinking um that the caffeine is the adenosine so it's no longer building up therefore it's not making you more tired as the day goes on it basically stops that increasing increasing tiredness so the caffeine controversially basically increases your energy rather than decreases energy throughout the day so that's the number one most you know common reason people consume coffee boost energy and improve cognitive function and like we just went through here it's it's pretty it's there's not um the question around whether that actually works there, there's science behind this it's proven it's known to increase cognitive function so everything else though does have links to it or associations but there is not strong hardcore evidence proving that caffeine helps these things. So just want to give that disclaimer. Uh, But the most interesting one here, and I think we've touched on this in our coffee episode, but 
caffeine may reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. So this is really fascinating. There's been quite a few studies actually done on this and they do look very promising, but it's still not fully understood why um, it does seem to decrease your risk of these two diseases. And also uh, kind of a disclaimer here is many, many of these studies use either coffee or tea as the means of, um, of giving the caffeine. So there are compounds in coffee or tea that could also be contributing to this. Um, but these studies do look specifically at caffeine. So some studies do st show stronger links than others, but they in the end do all tend to lean in direction that it is beneficial at reducing the risk of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. There's, there's some variations in these studies based on gender, like for some reason, Males seem to have a stronger association with with decreased risk compared to females. Again, that still needs to fully be understood. And then one other study I just want to mention here quickly is that they did do one where they they were using co like regular coffee and compared it to a group of people using of people drinking decaf coffee, and only the regular coffee drinking group saw those positive effects, meaning it didn't seem to be compounds in the coffee causing these beneficial effects. It did seem to be linked specifically to the caffeine. So that's probably the most interesting one of the benefits going along with that. Also, there's a lot of association with longer lifespan. There are thousands of studies on this over the past decade, almost, almost all of which have found a direct association between consumption of caffeine and mortality risk. So a lot of these, again, are using coffee or tea as the compound to give the caffeine, but there are links specifically to caffeine shown to increase lifespan. Um, particularly part of, with, part of that, I don't know, um, I feel like I've, I've looked at stuff too where uh, it may be due to, like the longer lifespan associated with caffeine, it may be due, or coffee, may be associated with like the reduced risk in other diseases like heart disease mm -hmm. or diabetes yeah yeah the two most common would be heart disease and diabetes like those two specifically seem to uh have a decreased association risk with people who drink caffeine and in most studies there is between a 15 20 percent decreased risk of those two specifically so when it comes to longer lifespan it's mainly because it it seems to decrease your risk of heart disease and decrease your risk of of type 2 diabetes um, so those are, again, probably the two most uh, useful ones. A few other small things. Caffeine has shown to potentially help you burn fat more efficiently. It's also shown to reduce the risk of liver damage. There are some studies that show it can reduce the risk of certain types of cancers like colorectal cancer and skin cancer. Um, uh, lots of benefits shown and associated with caffeine consumption, again, other than boosting energy and cognitive function, these are all just associations. So it's not this hardcore evidence, like you shouldn't be drinking caffeine to help these things, but there are just some interesting correlations. And I think as studies continue and as time goes on, we'll learn a little bit more about it, but those are kind of the, the big ones. Um, I think one thing, one key here though, is in these studies, it's not looking at people, um, like it, these, these aren't people who are drinking, you know, mocha frappuccinos from Starbucks. Like these are, this is 
like clean coffee. This is either black coffee mm-hmm. or teas in these studies when they're doing this. These are people who are drinking like black coffee and, and green tea, not like mountain. They're not getting their caffeine from Mountain Dew. So just yeah, just before you group all caffeine together, there is a, there is a distinct difference from where you're getting your caffeine from. So those are kind of a look at some of the the benefits behind caffeine. Now we're going to look at a couple of the downsides. Again, like we said earlier, they aren't extremely detrimental. But Andy, do you want to touch on on the main detriments of of caffeine consumption? Yeah. So there there are downsides to just the average person with no weird genetic sensitivity sensitivities to caffeine. So I'll go through those. And then there are some people that that have a just a yeah a genetic sensitivity. So I'll go through those l- later. First, like those who are just the average person, there is a detriment to to getting to a point where you can't function without it because, I mean, you become dependent on it and, and that can be a problem for those moments when you don't have access or you can't get enough and you keep having to, to drink more and more. I think that's just an unhealthy, uh, an unhealthy dependency because you, you become uh, you, you need that substance to function. Uh, and then I think another thing that a lot of average people um, kind of fall into is drinking it like too close to bed or for slow metabolizers drinking in the afternoon and then that impacting sleep like those with i feel like those with caffeine dependencies or a heavy caffeine dependency drink throughout the day and later you know maybe even into the evening that can lead to poor sleep um or even um you know like morning grogginess so i think that's a a, a downside to an addiction addiction dependency whatever you want to call it and then like number three like it's just an expensive habit like the more you drink the more you spend and really you can get the same effect. If you moderate it, you can get the same effect from, uh, you know, two cups of coffee versus four or five. It's just the reason that you feel like you need four or five is because you've built up this tolerance to it, but you mm-hmm. can get back to, you know, a, a one or two cups a day. Your body will adapt. Uh, it just, it just takes time. Well, and so, something uh, else yeah. I think that people often just kind of overlook is, simply like, are you getting enough sleep? And a lot of people aren't. Most people are, I mean, I think the average is around six and a half hours a night. And really we need to be getting seven to nine hours of actual sleep. So a lot of people just permanently use coffee as a means to compensate for their lack of sleep. And it's like, that's, you can drink, you can be like, have have an IV of coffee and that's never going to solve your problem of, of tiredness. If you're not truly getting sufficient sleep and purging that adenosine throughout the night. You need to right. wake up with with all the adenosine purge so you're waking up fresh. So I think like number one is like, are you getting seven to nine hours of actual sleep? And then from there, that's kind of like your base point of, okay, how much caffeine is kind of appropriate for, for my schedule and for mm-hmm. my day? Yeah. Yeah. And those are things that I think a lot of people probably encounter uh, when they drink caffeine and those, th- and those things aren't life-threatening. I mean, I guess if you don't get enough sleep like that, we've already talked about that. That's not good. Now, there are some people that just have genetic sensitivities to caffeine. For some people, this can worsen anxiety or uh, insomnia. So there's a genetic polymorphism in the adenosine A2A receptor gene. Uh, it's called uh, ADORA2A, Adora A. Um, and that's associated with uh, a sensitivity to the effects of caffeine, the effects of caffeine on anxiety, sleep, blood pressure, and psychomotor vigilance, which is the jitters. So the, some people may just be more sensitive in those areas. For some people, caffeine causes 
migraine. There, there is a, a study and there is a small group of the population where um, caffeine consumption increases a risk factor for chronic daily headaches. So if you, you know, if you in, encounter that, I mean, it may be worth, and you drink a lot of caffeine, it may be worth dialing that back a little bit. For slow caffeine metabolizers, it may increase the risk of heart attack. So research is, is kind of mixed here, but for those that metabolize caffeine slower, um, they do seem to have an increased risk of hypertension and, uh, and heart attack. Um, again, you gotta be careful when you're just looking at associations. Um, but it, it, when you just look at like slow versus fast, for some reason, slow metabolizers had an increased risk of, of hypertension could be due to a variety of things, but, um, just something to think about. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think of all these anxiety, insomnia are probably the two most important. Like if you, if you struggle with anxiety and you notice that well, it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint with, with anxiety, but, um, it may be worth just dialing back caffeine a little bit to see if that helps. Or if you really struggle to sleep, it may be worth trying to dial back caffeine. I mean, maybe you just drink throughout the day. Maybe you're a slow metabolizer and you have something at 3 PM that could still be in your system when you're trying to sleep. So anxiety and insomnia, I think are really to, to watch out for. Now, a lot of people, you know, wonder, okay, well, how much is too much? Well, I mean, research has shown generally that up to 400 milligrams a day is, is safe for most people. Now that doesn't mean it's not addictive at that level, but there doesn't seem to be any serious complications at that level in general. The FDA estimates you a, that, go ahead. So I was just going to say, just to give you a kind of a reference on, on what that is translated to like coffee, just cause that's the most common, like a, a grande pike place from Starbucks, which is a 16 ounce cup of coffee that has around actually like 300 milligrams of caffeine in it. Does it so really have that much? With, yeah. Yeah. It actually has quite a bit. The, when people reference, they typically, the references you see online, they'll say a cup of coffee has like a hundred megs of caffeine right. is the typical thing you'll see, but that's like a, a eight ounce, like that's an eight ounce, basically coffee mug. Um, so an eight ounce coffee cup, your typical coffee cup would have around 150 milligrams. If you're drinking a dark roast, that could be closer to hundred, but if you're drinking a light roast, it's going to have a lot more. So hmm. just to give I, you a reference, an eight ounce cup of coffee, which is probably what you're drinking at home. And if you're just drinking a, a medium roast, that probably has 150 milligrams in it with, with, uh, with espresso. A lot of people think espresso has like a ton of caffeine in it. So they'll get like a ton of espresso shots. Um, and mo like a Starbucks drink, like a grande has, I believe two shots of espresso and one espresso shot has 75 milligrams of caffeine. So actually your lattes and mochas from Starbucks technically for the most part have less caffeine than like a, just a cup of coffee. So if you are really looking to like, you know, if you need to pick me up, don't, don't go getting like a mocha frappuccino or something like that. Like you're just a blonde roast of coffee is going to have the most caffeine in it. If that's what you're going for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think where you get into real issues is when you drink a, a lot and most people can't even consume an amount that would kill them, but you can die from caffeine overdose. Like the FDA estimates that toxic effects like seizures or, or even death can be observed with rapid consumption of, of around 1200 milligrams. So if you were to consume that all right. at once, okay. truth is most people are spreading that out. Like if somebody were to even do 1200 milligrams a day, that's not all at once. That's it's spread mm -hmm. out throughout the day. Yeah. Um, you have to like chug like 
six monsters like back to back to to hit those numbers that quick. Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't think many people are doing that. So it's probably not an issue. But like I said, some people are much more sensitive to it. So that's just very generic. I think it's important for you to know how caffeine um how caffeine impacts you specifically. So it may be I wouldn't target 400 milligrams a day. That's just what the, the FDA considers safe. Um, so, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, but you may have to lower that down to something like under 200 or 100. Maybe you don't need any caffeine if, if it's like really causing anxiety or jitters or messing with your sleep. Um, just kind of depends on, on your situation. All right. So I think that wraps up kind of the, the downsides, the benefits, the addiction to caffeine. We're going to get to our 30 day experiment, but first, a word from our sponsor. All right. So we have our very first official podcast sponsor, and we're so pumped about this. As you all know, when we do these experiments, we try to get as much data as possible, but that can be pretty difficult because blood work is expensive. If, if your doctor will even order it for you, if you order on, on your own, it's even more expensive. So getting it frequently with like useful explanations about the results is just not feasible for a lot of people, but not anymore, thanks to our new sponsor, Inside Tracker. When you do what you love, whether that's running, CrossFit, weightlifting, yoga, enjoying the great outdoors, whatever it is, you want to do it for life. And the last thing you want to do is be you know, limping around at, at age 50 years old because you didn't take care of yourself or because you didn't have the data to make better decisions about your lifestyle. And that's where Inside Tracker can help. So this company was founded in... 2009, so they've been around for a while by lead scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics. Um, it was it was founded by Dr. Gil Blander, which we're going to try to get him on the podcast. And I believe um, uh, David Sinclair sits on the board. Uh, he's he's huge. I mean, I've talked about him on here in the podcast. He's big in the uh, anti aging community, and they use uh, their patented algorithm to analyze your body's data through blood work, DNA, fitness, uh, fitness data to provide you with a, a clear picture of what's going on inside you. Um, and they give you this really cool, uh, report with, with science backed recommendations on diet and lifestyle changes that you can make. And you get a nice like online portal, or you can use their app to look at this and you can track your data over time. So very comprehensive. They have explanations for every biomarker. So you actually know what you're looking at. Aaron and I got to do this. Um, we, we went through all of their different tests and it was, it was super cool. They have several different types of plans with different tests, different price points. So, I mean, there's really something for everyone. This is the future. You deserve to know what's going on inside your body so you can perform better, feel better and, uh, you know, and live longer. That's what we're all about here. So, Inside Tracker helps you track your progress every day, every step of the way towards reaching your performance goals and uh, living a longer, healthier life. And now we actually can give you a discount code. So Inside Tracker is giving Lab Rats listeners 25% off um, any anything on the Inside Tracker website. So you can go there and like I said, they have all these different tests. Just go to insidetracker.com slash Lab Rats. Uh, I mean, this is like a really big discount. This is cheaper than getting blood work from your doctor maybe it, it is for me at least um it's it's not saying not to get blood work from your doctor but it's a it's a very affordable accessible way to get information about about what's going on um cheaper than ordering blood work yourself and it's super easy you can even have somebody come to your house and take your blood 
and uh, you don't even need to leave the house. So check it out, insidetracker.com slash lab rats. All right, so our 30 day experiment, we did 30 days without caffeine. And I don't know about you, but for me, this was by far the hardest, at least in the first week. What, what would you say for you was was the most challenging? It, this this wasn't, I don't think it was that challenging because I, I mean, it, it sucked, but I only do a cup of coffee a day. Like just one six, cup? 16 ounces, which I guess is technically okay. probably two cups. Um, but I, I never drink more than that. So yeah, I mean, it, it was an adjustment, but I wasn't mm -hmm. miserable. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess with me, I'll, I'll go through my first seven days and you can talk about yours. Um, this is the third time I've in my life I've done like a cafe, I guess if you want to call it a caffeine cleanse or a, a time where I went without caffeine for an extended period of time. And basically the same thing has happened to me every time. Typically, like when I'm not doing this, I typically drink, um, I drink a decent amount of coffee. I'll probably drink two, like two really small cups in the morning and then kind of sip on, uh, maybe two more in the afternoon, not afternoon, but late morning, like nine, 10. So I'll probably drink, um, oh, maybe 25 ounces, I guess in a day and kind of sip on it throughout the morning. I guess on average, I'm not sure okay. how accurate that is. Maybe, maybe less, maybe more around there. But, um, the first three days were, I just had obviously an extreme, extremely pounding and terrible headache. Um, and it was just not, it was not pleasant. And I, it, it did not like extremely affect my, my thinking or my work. Like there were times where it was kind of annoying and I, I noticed it really bad, but it, it kind of lasted for almost three days straight. Um, pretty it, bad. Was, it, it hurt. Um, and then kind of the two days after that, it subsided a little bit. It wasn't, I it was still there. I, I felt it, but it was much more minor. And then day by day six, I'd say I felt back to normal. And then like there on out, just not, I just felt completely normal. So there definitely was like that detox phase for the first week or so. And then I felt back to normal. Um, but I think what I missed, like that first week was like painful, but I think the, the following three weeks, like what I missed was just like, like we mentioned earlier, just like the, the ritual of making coffee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, so no, did I you that. not experience that the first week? I had a mild headache for the first three days. Okay. And then I was really just drowsy for probably the first like four or five days. Okay. Just, I, I was just tired. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I just needed a boost at least until like the afternoon, but I feel like it just took a lot longer for me to wake up. But again, mild headache for the first three days, days four or five, the headache kind of went away. I was just a little tired. And then, yeah, by day six, I was, I was fine, but I just, what never went away was my longing for just sitting down in the morning and drinking a hot cup mm. of coffee and yeah. reading a book. I know that's, I mean, that's how I start every single morning. Like I, I get up. I flip the lights on and I immediately start weighing my water, weighing my coffee beans. Like I, I do the, you know, I think you do the same thing, like the pour over coffee. Like right. I love the experience of making coffee in the morning. Yeah. It's a, it's a relaxing ritual. Like it really is my moment of peace and quiet in the morning. Yeah. And, uh, it's something that I look forward to. It's probably my most peaceful time of day. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just not the same. I mean, I would drink a cup of water, but that is that is just not the same. 
Yeah. I mean, I did do um, some like herbal teas. So there are herbal teas without caffeine in it. So that's kind of what I use to replace it. But again, it's like, I, I like teas, but I, I t- herbal teas are kind of mild. So they don't have a very strong flavor. Um, it's just not the same. I don't know. I, I That's what I use to kind of replace my coffee in the morning since it didn't have caffeine, but it, it just, it just didn't compare. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, but I guess the the takeaway was that we adapted within a week. And I mean, I've been drinking mm-hmm. coffee for a long time, not as much as you, but both of us like, adapted right within a week. Yeah. Within a week, I was back to normal. Yeah. So I think you can. And I, you know, I guess that moves us into, uh, you know, recommendations. If you do have a, a caffeine addiction, I think first you need to figure out how much caffeine is too much for you. So I alluded to it earlier, but like signs of too much caffeine, if you're jittery, I think most people know this one. Um, no, most people know how caffeine affects them in that way. But one thing that I think that's often overlooked, like I said earlier, is maybe if you have anxiety issues, maybe just try cutting back on caffeine for one to two weeks. Or, you know, if you're irritable or nervous or you have heart palpitations, those those things can all be signs of a caffeine sensitivity they can also be signs of other of other things but if you experience those things it might be worth just experimenting because there, there's not a a risk of just taking out caffeine or if you have constant headaches um I, I think some people think that if they have a headache they're tired and they need to drink more caffeine which you really could just be making the problem worse if you have a caffeine sensitivity so uh, or, or insomnia too you know if you just get terrible sleep that could be a sign of uh you have a sensitivity, um, blood pressure as well. That can be difficult because there's so many factors that affect blood pressure, but you could experiment with that. Like you can get a a blood pressure cuff and, uh, and look at your blood pressure with and without coffee. I don't think you necessarily have to go cold Turkey with this. Like if you're just trying to cut back on caffeine consumption and, and maybe experiment with some of these things, just maybe you cut back on one drink per day. So instead of three cups of coffee, do do two cups of coffee for, one or two weeks and then maybe cut back one more a day. Um, and then, or maybe you just simply say, I'm going to cut it off at 3 PM. Your body will adapt. Like this is not as severe, uh, as al- alcohol or drugs or, or even sugar. Like your, your body adapts pretty fast when it comes to caffeine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you fall into like the category of, of one of two things, either you can't function in the morning without, without a cup of coffee, or you can't function throughout the day without needing caffeine throughout the day. Like if, if you're one of those two people, I think it is, it is worth messing around with adjusting how much you're consuming and backing off that, try to drink just one or two cups in the morning. And if you're feeling tiredness or ne- like negative side effects, like then that means you need more sleep, like more caffeine is not the answer. So I think if you struggle to wake up in the morning and you struggle to stay up throughout the day, mess around with dosages, but then mainly like try to up your sleep if you're not getting a full seven to nine hours. I think we uh, we mentioned this earlier, but just be careful of what type of caffeine you're consuming. Like uh, people who drink pot first thing in the morning, like blows my mind. I don't get it. To like don't if that's your source of caffeine in the morning, like cut that crap off. Yeah. Like that there's nothing good coming from that. Um try to stick to like coffees with maybe a little bit of creamer in it, or stick with some teas or with honey in it or something like that. Uh, dark chocolate is a is a I guess a good source of caffeine that does have higher caffeine content in it. But I mean, yeah, what we're talking about here is 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 clean, 
uh, you know, vehicles of caffeine, like, like coffee and teas. It's not Dr. Pepper, Mountain Dew, um, all these sugary things with caffeine, like try to cut those out and stick to the clean sources. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's worth mentioning, kind of a side note, decaf does not equal no caffeine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, decaf. Um, I don't know. I saw some different markers, but I mean, I think between 10, 20, maybe even 30 milligrams of caffeine for, for decaf. So yeah. if you're, if you're drinking, I know a lot of people like drinking coffee and some people drink decaf in the evening, um, that you may still be getting some, some caffeine and that could keep you up as well. Yeah. It's probably, it's kind of equivalent to like a, uh, so there's black tea, green tea, and like herbal teas. Herbal teas don't have any caffeine. Black teas have higher caffeine and, and green teas have lower than black tea, but yeah, decaffeinated coffee will have about as much caffeine as like a green tea would. So if drinking like a, a green tea in the evening does disrupt your sleep, then drinking decaffeinated coffee is going to do the same. Well, that wraps up our three-part series on breaking addictions. Um, we wanted to do one on drugs, but we have not really had experience with any hard drugs, unfortunately. And um, we thought of <laughs> we thought about doing a nicotine experiment where we spent 30 days getting addicted to nicotine via nicotine gum and then trying to do a withdrawal. But I don't know, TBD on that one. All right. Well, thanks for listening, y'all. Go check out Health Act. Uh, first newsletter comes out this upcoming Friday, available for, for Lab Rats listeners only. Go to healthact, without the E, dot com, and then enter code Lab Rats. 